Deuteronomy chapter four, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter four, and we're in the middle of Moses' speech. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and the ordinances which I teach you to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land which Yahweh, the God of your fathers, gives you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, neither shall you take away from it, that you may keep the commands of Yahweh your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what Yahweh did because of Baal Peor, for Yahweh your God has destroyed all the men who followed Baal Peor from among you. But you who were faithful to Yahweh, your God, are all alive today. Behold, I have taught you statutes and ordinances, even as Yahweh my God commanded me, that you should do so in the middle of the land where you go in to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of these peoples, who shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as Yahweh our God is whenever we call on him? What great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances so righteous as all this law which I set before you today? Only be careful and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes saw, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your children and your children's children. The day that you stood before Yahweh your God in Horeb, when Yahweh said to me, Assemble the people to me, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. You came near and stood under the mountain. The mountain burned with fire to the heart of the sky, with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. Yahweh spoke to you out of the middle of the fire. You heard the voice of words, but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. He commanded you to perform. Oh, he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets of stone. Yahweh commanded me at the time to teach you statutes and ordinances that you might do them in the land where you go over to possess. Be very careful for you saw no kind of form on the day that Yahweh spoke to you in Horeb out of the middle of the fire. Lest you corrupt yourselves and make yourself a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And lest you lift up your eyes to the sky and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the army of the sky, you are drawn away and worship them and serve them, which Yahweh your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole sky. But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be to him a people of inheritance, as it is today. Furthermore, Yahweh was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I should not go over the Jordan and that I should not go into that good land which Yahweh your God gives to you for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and possess the good land. Be careful lest that you forget the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he made with you, and make yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which Yahweh your God has forbidden you. For Yahweh your God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. When your father children and children's children and you have been in, long in the land, 
and then corrupt yourselves and make a carved image in the form of anything, and you do that which is evil in Yahweh your God's sight to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from off the land which you go over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days on it, but will be utterly destroyed. Yahweh will scatter your, you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh will lead you away. Then you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you shall seek Yahweh your God, and you will find him when you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in oppression, and all these things have come on you, in the latter days you shall return to Yahweh your God and listen to his voice. For Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which we swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and from the one end of the sky to the other, whether there has been anything as great as this thing, or has been heard like it. Did a people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the middle of a fire, as you have heard and live? Or has God tried to go and take a nation for himself from among another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that Yahweh your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? It was shown to you so that you might know that Yahweh is God. There is no one else beside him. Out of heaven he made you to hear his voice, that he might instruct you. On earth he made you to see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the middle of the fire. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their offspring after them, and he brought you out with his presence, with his great power, out of Egypt. To drive out nations from before you, greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is today. Know therefore today, and take it to heart, that Yahweh himself is God in heaven above, and on earth beneath, there is no one else. You shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you, and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land, which Yahweh your God gives to you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, that the manslayer might flee there, who kills his neighbour unintentionally, and didn't hate him in time past, and that fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Beza in the wilderness of the plain country for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. This is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel, these are the testimonies and the statutes and the ordinances which Moses spoke to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, beyond the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel struck when they came out of Egypt. They took possession of his land and the land of King Og, king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise, from Aroa, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, even to Mount Sion, also called Hermon, and all the Arabah, beyond the Jordan eastward, even to the Sea of the Arabah, under the slopes of Pisgah. Well, 
We're in the middle of Moses' great speech. He's recounting things that God has done for the Israelites, but he's also like commenting as he goes along. So we've got the comments of Moses. And um, in verse 2 of this chapter, this is something that Moses says. He says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, neither shall you take away from it that you might commit, keep all the commandments of the Lord. So Moses is telling them that the law of the Lord, which was given, is, is really important. They sh shouldn't add any new bits to it, and they shouldn't take bits away. Now this reminds me of two other parts of the Bible. The first is Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, which says this, If anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from this person his share of the tree of life. Um... And also said, if anyone adds to um, words, that God would add to him all the plagues described in this book. So in Revelation chapter 22, the Lord says, he's talking about revelation. You know, you shouldn't take away words from this or add words to it. Um, and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that not one part of the law will fall away. Not one part will disappear. We've got these three witnesses. You've got one, which is Moses, talking about the law. Got one in the book of Revelation, so you got one at the beginning of the Bible, one at the end, and one right in the middle, Jesus. And all three of them are saying that the words of God shouldn't be taken away, they shouldn't be added to it, that not one part of it's going to disappear, that it all needs to be taken seriously and properly. So we got it from Deuteronomy, from Revelation, and from Matthew. Now that raises a very, very interesting question. Because when we read some of the things in the book of the law the, in the Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, we clearly don't do those things today. Jesus, um, when Jesus came, there was even some times when Jesus didn't do some of the things in the book of the law, and the Pharisees got really annoyed. For example, Jesus um, healed someone on the Sabbath day, which the Pharisees thought was working. They thought that he's working on the Sabbath. They thought he's a lawbreaker, and yet. It was a bit, a bit confusing to them because only God could heal people. So why would God heal someone on a Sabbath? And Jesus, of course, was, was uh, claiming to be a man of God, working for God, and yet they th thought he was a lawbreaker. So we've got this interesting thing going on here where we've got the witness of the Old Testament and of Jesus and of the New Testament saying that we shouldn't take anything away from the, the Lord's words or add to them. And Jesus said that not one part will disappear and we've got things that are said in the law that seem to be like things we should take very seriously, and yet Jesus didn't do some of them, and we don't do some of them. For example, we don't go to, we don't keep the Sabbath in this literal sense of sundown on a Friday night to sundown on a Saturday night, where we don't rest, we don't walk more than 1.5 kilometers, you know, a Sabbath day journey, and there's all these things we don't do anymore. And so you've got to ask yourself the question, and here's a perfect place to do it because it's been brought up in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, saying that the law is not to be added to or taken away from. Um, how is it that we as Christians keep this law? If we're going to keep it properly, if we're going to follow it properly, and like here, for example, in verse 40, it says, You shall keep his statutes and his commands, which I give to you, that it might go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land. So how are we supposed to be people? Now, obviously, that was written to the Israelites. They were supposed to keep this law, and if they did, the Lord was going to protect them and bless them, and they would do well in Israel. 
They obviously didn't keep the law properly, if you know your Bible history, and they ended up not lasting in the land. They ended up being taken away. Um, and several uh, um, times they were attacked by other people and exiled. So we have to, I guess, in this chapter, the question I want to answer is, how do we keep the law of the Lord? Or how do we, how do we think about this law, which seems to be so seriously advocated as strong, unchangeable, and needing to be followed. And even the Lord, of course, did say that, that not the smallest part was going to fall away. Well, I'm going to give you a few examples um, of things that are in the Bible, and then we're going to come back and reconsider the whole law in light of those examples. The first example is from um, the Garden of Eden. So the Lord says to Adam and Eve, do not eat of this fruit of this tree, and if you do, on the day that you eat of it, you will die. Now, when you think about that phrase, on the day that you eat of it, what you will die, what do you think? Well, you think, you know, in the mind of a, of a person, you think, oh, as soon as I take a bite, I'm going to drop dead. But what happened was, because Eve took a bite, she didn't drop dead, and Adam looks at her and thinks, she's not dead. And she gives it to Adam, and Adam thinks, well, she seems to be doing fine, and I want to be on her side, I want to be with her, and he eats it too. And he's, it's when Adam eats it that, that we all fall into sin. But even Adam doesn't drop dead right then. So we have an example right there of the meaning of the words not being what they thought the meaning of the words was. What the Lord was saying was something far greater. He was talking about a type of death which was so far beyond the type of death that we think about. And we, what we tend to do is we tend to look at these things so overly literally and we think that the, the thing we're thinking is the real thing and because the thing we're thinking didn't seem to happen, that that's not real. But what we miss is that a far greater reality is, is in those words. So eternal death, separation from God, you know, the Lord saying to Adam, even the day that you eat of it, you will die. You know, you'll be separated from me. You'll be cut off. And the Lord knew exactly what he meant by it. It's us that don't understand it. That's one example. But we get to the New... And the Bible is full of them. They're everywhere. We get to the New Testament. There's a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus is with his 12 disciples. They're at the town, they're at the town of Sychar in, um, you know, in the Galilee area. The disciples go off into the village. It's early in the morning. And they're looking for food and um, they come back and Jesus says to them, I have food that you know not of. And they're immediately thinking, where did he get food from? Who could have given food to him at this hour of the day? And they're, they're thinking very much in terms of the way we normally talk about food, which is real. But Jesus is talking about a... Uh, see, we would discount Jesus's words and say, oh, he wasn't being real. But we have to get into our spirits that when God talks, he doesn't talk about something that's just not real. He talks about something that is so much more real that the only way we can possibly understand these much greater real things is by having symbols of those real things. So food for us is real, but it's only a symbol of a far greater reality but we tend to never ever see the far greater realities. We only ever see the symbol and think the symbol is the real thing. 
So what we've got here in the law uh, is the Lord's attempt. Now, of course, the Lord succeeds at what he does, but, but it's a process. It's his attempt to show us huge, great realities. The whole first five books of the Bible are, is a huge illustration to use physical things on the earth. He builds a tabernacle to try to teach us about a, a huge reality, of, about teaching us about God. He sets up a priesthood to try to teach us about what Jesus is going to do. He sets up the Ten Commandments. Now, they're, they're exact. They're a thing we should follow. But even the Sabbath, that's a, a thing that's taught to teach us a reality. For example, if you work to earn your salvation, you will never, ever enter into rest, and you will never, ever earn your salvation either. But when you find faith in Christ and you enter into salvation, now you enter into Sabbath. Now you rest from your works. Now you're no longer striving to be good enough from God. And in the end, the Sabbath is a picture of Christ. And so if we're going to follow the law with all our hearts, what we're really doing is giving ourselves fully to Christ because the entire law is one big picture of the many, many facets of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Not one part of that is going to fall away. You don't add to Christ and you don't take away from Christ. If you, if you take away from Christ, you're probably not saved. If you add to Christ, now you're trying to save yourself. And Moses said that we are to cling. We're to cling to Christ. We're to keep his statutes and his commands that our lives might be prolonged. And so by clinging to Christ, that is how we keep the law. If you want to keep the law fully with all your heart and all your soul, you get Christ before you, you cling to him in faith, and you obey him and you follow him and you serve him. And as he leads you and guides you, you, you follow his leading and guiding. And in doing so, you fully and completely keep the law. And it's fabulous. And you can only do it if you know Christ. But if you don't know Christ and you try to keep the law, you're doomed to frustration. On one hand, you don't even understand the law properly because it's only in Christ you can understand it. But on the other hand, you can't keep it because it's only Christ who perfectly kept the law, and in him we keep the law. So, how do we keep this law fully, perfectly, with a whole heart? We do it by clinging to Christ, and it's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for the law of the Lord. It says in Psalm 1 that on this law he meditates day and night. Well, Father, we want to meditate on Christ day and night. We want to turn our attention to you. Give us this grace, Lord, to, to keep the law by clinging to Christ. I ask, Lord, that we'd be lifted up into your presence and walk with you and find you and find favor and come into our inheritance and find blessing. Strengthen us that we might be fruitful. In the name of Jesus, amen.